0: Thank you, choir. As we open God's Word this morning, let us go to Him in prayer. Lord, we trust as we open Your Word that You speak to us. Lord, we want to see You more clearly. We want to uh, be the people You want us to be. Lord, help us to grasp uh, even more deeply Your grace this morning. Now speak to us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever complained about not getting what you want I'm not talking about getting what you deserve you know we there's some justice to that but I'm saying have you ever complained about not getting what you what you want you know, maybe you didn't get the bonus at work or maybe you didn't get the front row parking place at the mall you know when you go there or maybe you wish you had a different hair color Not that you can change that now or anything like that, but hair color, eye color, maybe you wish you were taller or shorter or whatever it may be. You know, my point is we've all grumbled about something. You know, there's there's always something that we could probably find that we grumble about and wish we had or complain that we didn't receive. And if you're a child and you continually grumble about what your parents do not give you, we call you a spoiled brat, right? <laughs> That's what we call you. If you just continually grumble about what you don't have, we say, you know, you just have this sense of entitlement here, you know, you don't deserve all these things, you didn't earn all these things, you're not paying for all these things. You know, you're just being a spoiled brat. Now, I don't know what you call a Christian that complains or grumbles about how God extends his gifts. I'll let you come up with your own title or label for that. But this idea of being, you know, spoiled It's linked not to what you deserve, but it's linked to what you want. And there's a sense in which you, you know, if you don't get what you want, you continually whine, complain, you grumble. And, uh, you know, you you want this toy, you want ice cream, you want a vacation, whatever it may be, and you just continually grumble, 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 grumble if you don't receive it. And it's not that you're going to pay for it. You know, as the child, you're not paying for the vacation. You're not paying for the ice cream. You just want it. And there's a sense of entitlement that we be, we start believing that even though these things are just gifts, that we should receive them, that we are entitled to these gifts, even though we've done nothing to earn them. And I think this, this sense of entitlement we can even bring into our relationship with God. You know, at first, if you can think back, if you're a Christian... And if you're not a Christian, hopefully as we walk through this, you're going to maybe come to a better understanding of what Christianity is all about. But if you are a Christian, you can probably remember back when the gospel first made sense to you. And you realized uh, the generosity of God and His grace, and His saving grace. The fact that a perfect and holy and loving God would extend grace to you, forgiveness to you, even though you do not deserve it. You're just you're an undeserving sinner that has turned his back against God, yet God pursues you, initiates with you, and extends grace to you. And will even bring you into His family if you just turn to Him and receive His forgiveness. I and mean, when you first understood that grace, you thought, like the song, it's amazing, it's amazing grace, generous grace. But over time, you know, we begin to compare ourselves to other Christians, and we think, well, I'm, I'm older, I'm more mature, I'm more obedient, I'm more sacrificial than these other Christians. And we believe that God is obligated then to give us things, do things for us, rather than maybe these other folks. You know, he's obligated to do this, that, or the other to me because I'm, I've been in the faith longer. You know, I'm older, I'm more mature, I'm more sacrificial. You know, God, haven't you seen what I've given up, you know? Look what I do for you. Then surely you, you ought to do this for me. And there's that sense of entitlement that begins to, to creep in. And this type of thinking is it's not unique to us. You know, the danger of this type of thinking was even among the followers of Jesus, the first followers of Jesus. And let me set up this, this conversation Jesus is going to have with his disciples in Matthew nineteen twenty that I think points to this type of thinking. Back in Matthew 19, Jesus has this conversation with the rich young man. And Jesus challenges him to go and sell all his possessions and give those possessions to the poor, give the money to the poor, and then follow him. Well, it says the rich man just could not let go of his possessions and follow Jesus, so he went away sorrowful. And then Jesus tells His disciples, you know, it's very difficult for people to let loose of the things of the world to grab hold of God. To turn from trusting in the things of the world to trusting in God. It's difficult, especially when it comes to riches. And so then the disciples say, well, in verse 25 of Matthew 19, who then can be saved if it's so difficult to let go and turn and receive this saving grace? And Jesus looked at them and said in verse 26, You know, with man, it is impossible. You can't do it. You would never turn. But with God, all things are possible. In other words, with God, it is possible to make that shift, to make that turn, and receive and participate and enjoy His grace. And then Peter, observing all this happening, he asked a question that probably has been brewing in his mind for some time. Because he he sees the rich young man and his refusal to let go of the things of the world to follow Jesus. And Peter's thinking to himself, well, that's that's not me because guess what? I've left everything to follow Jesus. And so he asks Jesus this question in verse 27. See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And there's a sense in which, you know, I've given up all of these things. What, what, what do I get out of this, right? And Jesus assures him that, you know, Peter, and he tells the rest of them, what you will receive in my kingdom will far surpass anything that you can possibly possess in this life. You know, your sacrifice is worth it. I mean, you are, it's a, this is a good choice you've made to follow, follow me, Jesus is saying. And then he tells them in verse 30, he says, but many who are first... Will be last and last first. You think, that's interesting, you know. Peter, yeah, giving up everything, your sacrifice is worth it. You've made the right choice to follow Jesus. But many who are first will be last and last first. And then he tells this parable of the laborers in the vineyard. I think this parable will help us understand that phrase. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. He gives this parable. He says. There's a master of the house, and he needs to hire laborers to work his vineyard. And so he goes out probably around 6 a.m., and he hires a group of men. And he tells them, I'll pay you a denarius. And a denarius was a standard wage for a foot soldier or a day laborer. Okay, So it was a very reasonable ra- wage. He says, I'll pay you a denarius for a day's work. So they go and they work in the, in the vineyard. And then he goes out again about 9 a.m., 12 p.m., 3 p.m., and then 5 p.m. And the workday will usually end around 6 p.m. So he goes out those different times, he hires more workers, and then he tells them, I'll pay you what is right. He doesn't tell them an amount. And so they go, they agree, and they, uh, start working in the vineyard. And then when evening comes, the owner of the vineyard calls his foreman and he says, okay, now it's time to pay the laborers, their wages. But he says, I want you to start with the last group first and then make your way down to the people that were hired first at 6 a.m. And then and Jesus tells us in verse 9 in Matthew 20, he says, and when those hired about the 11th hour came, this is the last group, they've only worked one hour, each of them received a denarius. And this is where the parable makes a turn. Because up, at the, up until this point, no surprises. Hey, vineyard, work in the vineyard, earn a denarius, no surprise. But then, when the workers that were hired at 5 p.m. worked one hour and they received a denarius, then everybody's like, whoa, what's happening here? You know, this is where it takes a little turn. And you know, those who hired at 6 a.m., they're thinking to themselves, wow, this, this owner is very Generous these laborers only worked one hour and they received a full day's wage. I wonder what's going to happen when we get up there and get our paycheck. And surely it's going to be even more than that. But Jesus tells them in verse 10, each of them also received a denarius. Let's try to just bring this into our context for a moment. Let's just say uh, you worked for uh, Procter & Gamble and you've worked there for 30 years. And uh, there's another guy, his name's Frank, he was hired on just a few months ago. He's still in orientation, right? Well, the CEO of the company comes out and says, we've had the best year ever, and we're going to give everybody bonuses. So everybody's pretty excited about that. Who doesn't like a bonus, right? And so they say, but what we're going to do is we're going to start with those who are first hired, and then we'll make our way down to the more senior level employees, so Frank, he's still in orientation, he comes up, he's not even really doing much yet, he's learning the ropes, he comes up, he gets his check, a $1,000 bonus. Not a bad time to join the company, right? He gets $1,000. And you're thinking to yourself, I've worked here 30 years, I can't wait to see what my bonus is going to be. And so they make their way through the line, you're toward the back because you've worked here so long. You get up to the CEO, you get your check, you open it up, it's 1000 $1,000. And you start thinking to yourself, and you're probably thinking this too if you've read this parable before, or maybe you even heard it just today, and maybe you're thinking this, there's something just not fair about that. This is not fair. You're giving the same bonus to someone who's in orientation as someone who's been here for 30 years? I know it's a bonus, but that's just not how things work. And we all know this in companies. Look at companies, who gets the biggest bonus? The CEO gets the biggest bonus, right? Not the guy that was just hired. And so this parable takes a right turn and everybody's thinking, okay, this is just strange. I'm familiar with vineyards. I'm familiar with laborers and wages, but I've never seen an owner that was so generous to those who've only worked an hour, but it is very puzzling that he would pay everyone the same wage regardless of when they entered into uh, the vineyard. And so we all have this sense of we like bonuses, but at the same time, we have an issue with this equality of payment, right? And Jesus says that that's exactly how the laborers felt, the ones that were hired at 6 a.m. In verse 11 and 12, they say, or Jesus tells us, they grumbled at the master of the house. They grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last workers only worked one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. And there's two words I want to to point out here in these two verses. The first word is they grumbled. You know, we've all grumbled, like I mentioned earlier. It's this idea of discontentment, dissatisfaction. It's this complaining, whining, you know. I didn't get what I deserved. Um, I, didn't, I, I did not you know, get treated the way I should have gotten treated. Let me see if I can illustrate this for you. Imagine uh, a father takes his children out and they're running errands, doing different things, and he says, you know what? I'm going to take you to get a Frosty from Wendy's. We all like Frosties, Right? Well, I'm going to give you a frosty. You didn't earn it. You didn't do anything for it. You're not paying for it. The dad says, I'll take care of it. It's just because I love you. I'm going to, I'm going to buy you this frosty. Well, you pull up in the drive-thru. He orders some frosties. So I'll take three kid-sized frosties. And they come out, you know. Well, then he hands them to the children. And then one of the kids says, I don't want this small frosty. I want a bigger size Frosty. That's grumbling, right? That's grumbling because you were receiving the Frosty by grace. You didn't pay for it. You didn't earn it. But then when you got it, you thought, hey, there's larger sizes on the menu. I want a bigger one. And then you become discontent with the one you have and you fail to be full of gratitude for the lovely chocolate goodness that is a frosty in your hands and you make it a a bitter treat because you want a larger size. In the same manner, when we grumble against God, when we grumble against God, we're telling God that we're not satisfied with what you've given me and what you've promised me. We're, We're not satisfied with that. We're saying, you know, I've not done anything wrong. I've obeyed you, I've followed you, and I don't like the way you extend your gifts. Because I deserve some of those gifts. That's grumbling. When we grumble, we forget that, that every good thing we have is by the grace of God. Every good thing. Your James tells us that every good thing comes down from God. Everything that is good is by His grace. In other words, if you see any good in you, it's right to attribute that to the goodness and grace of God. And now, I'll be the first to say, and I think you'll agree with me, that there are many times when we are very thankful for God's grace. We love serving a generous, gracious God. But at the same time, we can actually despise God's grace. Did you know that? We can actually not care for the grace of God. Can you imagine hearing this parable for the first time? You're Peter, you're saying, we've left everything, what will will we receive? And Jesus tells us, your sacrifice will be worth it in my kingdom for sure, but the first will be last, the last will be first. And then you hear this parable about this landowner who pays everybody an equal share even though some... Have come into the vineyard at six a.m. and some have come in at almost the last moment, and they receive equal reward, equal payment. See, in the kingdom of man, bonuses—even bonuses—are determined by your position and your contribution, right? And we saw that when I mentioned that earlier, the CEO gets the biggest bonus, and it works that way; it, works, it trickles down, right? Even the bonuses, the grace, supposedly, that the company gives is determined by position and contribution. But Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of God, that's not how it works. There's a different way of working things out in the kingdom. Because in the kingdom of man, merit reigns. Ability reigns. But in the kingdom of God, grace reigns. In the kingdom of man, ability determines value. Whereas in the kingdom of God, grace brings about generous equality. You know, one pastor recently wrote in an article he says, with Jesus, only with Jesus, the door of heaven's entry is presented to us at the beginning of our journey and not the end. Christianity is the only religion that says such a thing. That the entry to heaven's door is at the beginning. It's not at the end. It's not something you work towards to earn and and try to grab hold to and make your way through. It's something you're granted at the beginning by grace because of what Jesus has done. He is the door. And once we walk through Him by faith, we embrace Him by faith, we're in. We're in the family of God. No other religion teaches that. Every other religion in the world teaches you that you climb the ladder to the entrance of what, whatever heaven may be. But Christ brings it to you and He is at the beginning of the journey and lets you in by grace. So in other words, in, in Christ, in Christianity, you receive the bonus even before you get the job. <laughs> Which is kind of nice, isn't it? Can you imagine going to the interview and someone saying, hey, here's a $10,000 bonus. Before they even you know, even, start, even start work. This is the generosity of God. He saves you by your grace. The second word I want you to see here is this word equal. See, what bothered them so much is that the landowner, the master of the house, made these that worked one hour equal to those who had worked 12 hours. That was the problem. You've made them equal to us can't you see we're not equal? I've been in this place longer. I've done more. And then the master of the house says in verses 13 through 16, he says, but he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? And here it is again. So the last will be first, and the first last. So God generously extends grace to us. So whether you've been a Christian for 30 years or 30 minutes, you are equally in need of the grace of God. but it's when we fail to realize that we need His grace. It's when we fail to realize what grace is that we begin to grumble. Let I me mean, just think about it. Does it bother you that the same salvation comes to the one who is a believer for 30 years as well as to the one who's a believer for 30 minutes? Same salvation. Same saving grace. Equality. See, it bothered these laborers in the vineyard. And I believe that Jesus, what He's doing here is He's warning the disciples that even though they've left everything to follow Him, even though they've left everything to follow Him, the same salvation, the same kingdom that the disciples will partake in will be the same kingdom that all those who come to Christ will partake in. Even though, Peter, you have left everything, Even though, no doubt, you've had a special role in the kingdom, the kingdom you inherit will be the same kingdom that you and I will inherit if we have faith in Christ. It's the same one. It's the same salvation, the same saving grace that comes to us. Whether you are Jew or Greek, whether you're male or female, whether you're slave or free, whether you're old or young, it's the same salvation that comes to you through Christ. And I think we need to hear the same warning. You know, we need to be careful that we don't compare ourselves to other Christians and then say to God, you know, God, I'm doing more than such and such, so then you ought to do this for me. That's not how the kingdom works. God distributes His grace as He sees fit out of His goodness, out of His love. So as God demonstrates His grace to the people around us, we should take the posture I believe of rejoicing the, with those who rejoice. Rejoicing with those who rejoice. You know, instead of envying and becoming jealous, we should rejoice with those who rejoice instead of grumbling because we do not deserve more grace. Or we haven't we haven't received more grace. So we're grumbling that we haven't received more grace. Which is like a contradiction in terms, right? If you think about what grace is. If we've earned it or deserved it or worked for it, then it's not grace. That's kind of the whole point. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 11, verses 5 and 6. He's talking about how we came into the kingdom of God. He says, So too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. He's talking about Christians. Those who are in Christ, those who are chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. If you have to work for it, it is not grace. It's not a gift. So in your mind, if you think there's anything that you need to work for from God, that's not grace. And you remember back what I said at the beginning. Every good thing that God gives, He gives by His grace. We can never earn the goodness of God. He extends it solely by His grace. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 2.8 and 9. He says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. But see, if we were to write that verse, we would say this, For by my good works I have been saved through faith. That's the way we would write that. If you talk to most people about Christianity, they would write it that way. Because I haven't killed anybody. I'm saved through faith. Or because I'm such a good person, I'm saved through faith. But Paul says, no. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. It's a gift. You haven't done anything to deserve it. That's the whole point. And then he goes on to say, and this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You can't boast. Why? Because you didn't do anything. <laughs> you only can boast in Christ because He's the one who's done the work. You've not done it, so we cannot boast. It's a gift. So we're saved from spending, spending eternity without God by grace through faith. That's not on, uh, based on our merit. And that's why there's equality at the cross. We all come to God through the cross. Equality. It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, how old you are, where you're from. We all come through what Christ did on the cross. There's equality at the cross. Same grace, same salvation is extended to us because of what Christ has done, not because of what we've done. And that's what I think Jesus means here when He says the first shall be last, the last shall be first. Grace brings equality. So whether you're first in the kingdom, like Peter, or you're last in the kingdom, right before Christ returns, someone comes to Christ. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. We'll all inherit the same kingdom, the same salvation. And all experience the saving grace of God through Christ. Paul says this to the Galatian Christians in Galatians 3.28. He says, There is neither Jew or Greek, neither slave or free. There is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And the idea is that if you are in Christ, God has bestowed on you the righteousness of Christ. The perfection of Christ. And so it doesn't matter who you are, if you're clothed with Christ, there's equality because we all have the righteousness of Christ. I and mean, what other righteousness is there? There is none. That's why there's equality. We all Because we don't bring anything to the table. That's grace. God has graciously granted salvation through Christ, period. And if we have embraced that by faith, there's equality at the cross. We all will be in the same kingdom, in the same family. And who are we to complain about his generosity? In other words, be happy with the frosty you have. <laughs> no need for the bigger frosty. You have a great frosty. Your God has extended grace to you. you. If you're in Christ, you have enough. It's enough. That's what will get you through, knowing that God accepts me because of what Christ has done. I don't have to be anyone else to be accepted by God. That's grace. So the fact that we're allowed to participate in God's salvation, you know, that should make us extremely grateful. Let us pray together. God, we are thankful for Your grace. We're we're so grateful that You have brought us to a place and You have accomplished all that was necessary through Your Son, that You can extend to us saving grace. You can bring us into Your kingdom. You can forgive us for all of our sin. And You can make us into the people You want us to be by Your grace. You're the one doing it. And we're so thankful for You. And we just ask that You would help us to be grateful people. Help us to uh, cherish that grace. Help us to rejoice with those who rejoice, who receive different gifts and different different things from You, God. Help us to be thankful to You, grateful to You. Help us to rejoice with them. Uh, Help us to be kingdom-minded. Help us to seek first Your kingdom and Your righteousness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And like I said, that, you know, the grace, this grace has been extended to you, not arbitrarily, but because of what Christ has done for you, you see. Christ lived the life that we should have lived, but we were unable to. A life in perfect obedience to God. That's what we mean by righteousness. He lived the right life, perfect life, in perfect relation to God. And then He died a death that He did not deserve, but we deserve. But He died in our place to take the penalty for our sin. And so when He did that, that opens up the possibility now for God to say, I'm going to extend to you what Christ accomplished. I'm going to extend it to you because of what He did, I'm going to extend it to you. And all you need to do is receive it by faith. So you exchange your sin for His righteousness. That's what it means to be a Christian. We exchange our sin for the righteousness of Christ, the rightness of Christ. And we are brought into the family of God by faith, accepting that. Jesus died, took our our penalty for our sins. He was buried. On the third day, He was raised, conquering sin and death. And this enabled this saving grace to be applied to to everyone who will receive it by faith. And so the question you have to ask yourself is, do you see Christianity as a stairway to God, that you have to climb the Ten Commandments to reach God, or do you see heaven as a door, and His name is Christ, that you walk through by faith? How do you see it? Where are you? Are you on the stairs, or are you in Christ? If you're on the stairs, you're not a Christian. Because that's not how God's kingdom works. But if you've come through the door, if you've placed your faith in Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, then you are in the family of God. It's that simple. And yet, it's that that profound. So as we sing our final hymn, I want to challenge you, if you have not placed your faith in Christ, I want to challenge you to do that to trust Christ, to become a follower of Christ, to turn from your sin and turn to Christ and receive His forgiveness. And so as we stand and sing our final hymn, I invite you to meet me at the front if you would like to place your faith in Christ or if you need to be baptized to go public with your faith and identify with this local church or if you'd like to join this church family, I encourage you to stand and come and meet me at the front as we stand and sing our final hymn. So let us stand and sing together.